Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. Well, um, this message is not based on just one text, so some may call this topical. That's not my normal practice, but for this, uh, I'll hope you uh, will forgive me. Um, it's always been hard to be a godly man, and that's because men have always faced sin and temptation. It's always been the case, but one difference is that in the past, you could be a sinner and you could still be manly or masculine to some extent. But today, uh, Western society opposes masculinity, right? even, even, in, even in its godliest form, its, its best form. This is because of uh, feminism and the reigning broader philosophy known as egalitarianism. And it's true that um, because of these things, many people actually hate men. They hate manhood. So we see this from radical uh, feminists, which includes some uh, leftist single women, but it also includes many employers and government officials. That they want passivity and compliance as they ram their new ideologies down our throats. They don't like uh, people standing up for principles and they don't like resistance. So they oppose masculine men. Well, this of course is spilled over even into the church. Right? Many churches cater to women, whether it's in their uh, worship songs or uh, sermons that are crowded out by uh, stories rather than the Bible. Uh, these churches tend to be soft on truth and they tolerate cultural sins at its expense. And if men stand up too much, then they call them unloving or uh, unpastoral or something like that. So we know it's hard to be a man today. It's especially hard to be a godly man. But the fact is, God calls each one of us to be godly. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. Right? It's a sanctification process, to be obedient to his commands, his law. And he calls us to live according to his design. So if you are a male, and 
All of you here are, as far as I can tell. Uh, if you are a male, then he called. <laughs> Making assumptions. Sorry, sorry if I offended anyone. This is a men's men's night, okay? <laughs> if you are a male, then God calls you to act like a man. That's right. So this means we must, of course, know what it means to be a man, right? Our, our culture is. I know we laugh about these things, but our, our culture is deeply confused on this point. They can't even acknowledge that men and women have different bodies and, and chromosomes and, and that you can't change that. And they're fighting reality. So we cannot go to the culture to find out what it means to be a man. We, we must go to the source of truth, which is the Word of God. <clears throat> so I want to ask <clears throat> a couple questions here. Uh, the first one is, what does the Bible say about what it means to be a man? What does the Bible say about what it means to be a man? Well, the first place we're going to go is uh, the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, this is Genesis uh, chapter 1. If you have your phones or Bibles, you can go there with me. Uh, Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28. I'll read the text, so even if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. So it says there... Um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion. And verse 27, God it says, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, so both men and women are made in God's image. And verse 28, God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over creation. So have dominion. So this passage shows that, um, as I said, humans are made in God's image. Uh, but this image is tied with rule or, or dominion over creation. Right? That's the emphasis. And we do this uh, both as man and woman through multiplying and subduing the earth. And so sometimes it's known as the cultural mandate. Uh, but even this command, when you think about it, assumes differing uh, sex-based duties, right, rooted in our differing bodies as men and women and different reproductive roles. Women, of course, get pregnant, and so uh, that's part of being fruitful and multiplying. And so you have uh, this, di this dominion mandate. Um, of course, it applies to both men and women, but as we'll see, this applies distinctly to men and women. Uh, we also have male leadership taught in the very next chapter, Genesis Two, there's a, there's a lot we can learn from these cha first three chapters. We won't spend a ton of time in them, but just to note them. Um, Adam was created prior to his wife, like he's created first. And so the Apostle Paul, he goes there a couple times, First uh, Timothy 2. Um, seems to reference it in some other passages. Uh, he thinks this is important for the differences between men and women. <clears throat> and... Uh, Adam is said in Genesis 2.15, God says he puts him there to work and keep the garden. Work and keep. Some, some translations say to cultivate it uh, and to keep it. But you can also translate uh, that word keep, guard. I think in the context here that makes sense. He, there's, he's supposed to guard the garden. I mean, of course, he doesn't with the, the serpent. Uh, gets in there. But, so he's to work and guard. And so I actually think, I'll build on these a little bit, but I think this very verse, Genesis 2.15, is really getting at the, the, the 
uh, roles, duties that God placed on man. And then we know from Genesis 2.18 that uh, uh, Eve was made as a helper to him. Right? That, so her very identity and being is wrapped up in her relationship to the man. That's a good thing. Uh, of course, we have Genesis 3. I won't look at that, but you, you have the, the uh, with the curse there, you have uh, the judgment, um, the, the woman while pain and childbearing, and then the, the man is said to have uh, uh, pain in, in working the ground, right? So it's going back to that, his own judgment will be in this area of work, working the garden. So protecting and providing, these are kind of two things we, we see rooted here in Genesis uh, 2.15. And though men are no longer farmers, or not all of us, right? Some of us still are. We need farmers. But uh, though we're not all farmers anymore, we still fulfill this duty, this role to uh, provide food for ourselves, right? We, we still speak this way. You know, you, you got to bring home the bacon, right? Uh, uh, be a breadwinner, right? That's how we refer to making money is, is in, the, in this way. So providing for ourselves and our families, and we see this in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul urges Christians in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. He says uh, they're to work, we're to work with our hands. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone is not willing to work, neither let him eat. These things are affirmed in the New Covenant. Uh, we also have some verses speaking specifically to men. I think of Exodus 21.10. Now, uh, this is... Somewhat of an odd passage because it's it's a case law dealing with uh, if a man has a second wife. So I realize nobody should take two women uh, today. But if a man a man t- took a second wife, he was required by this law to uh, provide food and clothing for her. It says he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And I won't get into that last part. But uh, uh, it's teaching. There's this provision requirement. He's he's supposed to provide for his uh, wife or wives in this case. So, so we, have, we have this thing taught throughout Scripture, this duty that God has placed on men to work and provide. We also have the Apostle Paul's uh, words in 1 Timothy 5.8. Uh, he says, If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, in the context here, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, dealing with widows and... Um, of course, widows, right, they, they have no husband to provide for them, so that's the issue. So I think this is actually specifically uh, aimed at men to some extent. I mean, we, we even think of um, if he doesn't provide for his household, well, who, who's the head of the household? Well, that's, that's the man. That's clearly taught in other passages. So I think this is a special duty even here taught, um, placed upon men. So, so that's the working or providing part that God has placed on men. It's a duty that, uh, upon all of us. Uh, but there's also this guarding or protecting um, duty I, I mentioned, right? To work and keep the, the garden. Well, we see this in a uh, chapter like Numbers 30, which you may not be familiar with, but um, there it's uh, it, it deals with vows. So if a uh, uh, I don't want to get into the whole chapter here, but it basically it allows if a father has an unmarried daughter in his house and he hears of the daughter's vow, he can annul it or nullify it. Uh, so it's showing he has covenantal authority over her. And the same is true of a man if he's married right, to his wife. So 
that passage, I think, clearly shows this covenantal authority. Of course, we have passages teaching uh, the husband is the head of his wife, so, so he holds authority over her. It's a God-given authority for her good. Uh, you can think of 1 Corinthians 11.3 or Ephesians 5.23, right? That's the well-known passage about um, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. Um, right? The husband is the head of his wife. And to be the head or authority over someone certainly includes the obligation to uh, lead them, to provide for them, but also to protect them. So we have these teachings um, throughout. In fact, even I think this is implied in, in 1 Peter uh, 3.7. Um, so the feminists, I, I don't know what they do with 1 Peter 3 because it doesn't have some of these outs like uh, you know, any reference to mutual submission like Ephesians 5 or uh, um, even disputing the word head. I mean, 1 Peter 3 is just very clear that wives are to submit to their husbands. But, but there's a uh, command to men in 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. Since she is a woman, this is the LSB, it's a little bit different. Um, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So um, this is the duty, the responsibility God has placed on uh, men, particularly husbands. Now, it's unpopular to, uh, I think, quote this verse because it calls women weaker, but I think this is obvious. They're, they're at least weaker than men physically in general, um, but maybe even in other ways, in, in more delicate emotionally. So we need to reckon with these things and understand that we should therefore treat women uh, with honor, right? He says, live with your wives in an under, and this will go with, Daughters, mothers, sisters, I think really applies in all of these ways. Understand the woman woman is different, and we should be gentle with her and live in an understanding way. And, and that would include um, protecting her, right? Uh, uh, I can't remember what I was talking about, but uh, you know, you're walking down the, the street in certain parts of town, and women don't like to walk alone. It's understandable. They, they want some protection. They need protection. And that's part of what it means to be a man, is to protect your wife, uh, women in your life, including your wife, from, from danger. This would be physical danger, but also spiritual danger from sin. So men are to ensure their wives and daughters are uh, dressing modestly, protecting them. Men are to lead their families in regular worship, Right? Bible reading and prayer, hymn singing, catechism, these are things that men should lead in as uh, man of the house. Men are also to lead uh, the finances in the home, at least it uh, doesn't mean they have to do every aspect of it, but making sure that money is saved and invested, exercising some authority and leadership even in the financial realm. I should note we have, uh, we have God himself's example as a father in this regard. Uh, Deuteronomy 10 verse 18 says of God, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And so God himself, right? we speak of God as father, and he um, protects by executing justice. He provides food 
and clothing. Psalm 68.5 says that God is the father of the fatherless and protector of the widows. Protector of widows. So we see even this, these duties right, of protecting and providing wrapped up with God's uh, role as father. That's part of what it means uh, to be a man and a father in particular. So the Bible shows that God expects men to protect and provide. That's part of our duties, our responsibilities. This follows his example. It follows his design uh, as taught in Scripture. And these are manly roles uh, wrapped up in our nature. We're, we're physically stronger than women. We're not hindered from work by uh, pregnancy and nursing. Which, uh, you know, I guess that's... Um, you know, these are just realities that we have to reckon with. We're talking about uh, God's will, His revealed will of command. It's His His calling, right? If you wonder what's what's your calling on in life, well, God doesn't always tell you uh, what job to do, right? I mean, you want to find your calling in life, but you know at least the general calling is to work, <laughs> to to provide. For yourself and, and your dependents, your family, and to protect them. And so you notice I've probably been using um, the word duty. Well, it's a rare word today. It, it didn't used to be that way. I think it's a, a word we should use more, uh, especially as Christians, right? Humans used to understand that there's things we're supposed to do in life. Responsibilities, they're, they're placed on us by God and by our circumstances. So a woman has a duty to, I think in general, a duty to marry, to bear children, to care for them in the home. A man, right? you're, you're a man, you, you have the duty to marry, to have children, and to provide and protect your family. And of course every one of us has the duty to obey God and to worship Him. Right? But a duty is a good thing. It's not, it's not something to um, think of as drudgery. Oh, I, man, I have to worship God. No, right? It's a, it's a good thing. We want to worship Him. So duties are good things, and we can actually enjoy duties and fulfilling them. So as we marry... Uh, in foreign families, we, we take on new duties, but this is part of God's calling. It, it's, it's how we find meaning and purpose in life, right? It's uh, how we find happiness, joy in Christ, and it's how we glorify Him. And I, I, I talked about taking joy in duties. I, I do think it's not only joy, but as we fulfill the duties God has placed on us, we uphold our honor as men. There's another word that we don't use a lot today and probably should. So if you're, if you're single and young, some of you here are, you need to prepare yourself to take on these duties as a husband and father. Right? And it doesn't start when you're 25 or 30. Right? These, these preparations should come early. They should start now to, to form good habits. That means uh, working hard, seeking holiness, taking care of yourself physically and treating women 
well, right? Honoring them as, as fellow heirs in Christ. You don't start honoring women when you get married. I hope not. <laughs> All right? You start honoring them before that. You're training. You're, you're building habits. So to sum up, masculinity is tied with leadership. Right? That's, that's part of these duties to protect and provide. Masculinity is tied with leadership. And to be a man means to lead, to, and this goes back to Genesis 1, to rule and exercise dominion. However, that means leading through trials and challenges, leading through adversity. Masculinity is expressed by overcoming adversity. We all have challenges to overcome, every single one of us. We all have our own sin to fight. Some of these are common to all of us. Lust, laziness, anger, anxiety. But we also have challenges that arise from our own circumstances. Some of us come from non-Christian homes. Some of us come from broken homes, divorced parents. Some of us do not have good male role models in our lives. Maybe your own father is a bad example. Some of us are exposed, many of us, to constant lies and confusion taught by our teachers or professors, our friends, the media. And we have few people telling us what it means to be a man. And so part of what it means to be a man is to overcome these challenges. Right? Don't run from adversity, but run through it. Overcome it. Here's a good uh, proverb I came across recently. Proverbs 24.10 says, if you, this is the ESV, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. That's if you're facing adversity and you just faint. There's no strength, but you need strength. You, you need to overcome the adversity that is placed before you. There's great honor, there, there's great glory in overcoming the trials of this life to grow into mature manhood and mature manhood in Christ, right? To become a godly man. Right? There's great honor in doing that. But you can only do this by the power of Christ and His Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own strength. Now let me add a word here that... Um, God is merciful towards those who repent of the sins of their fathers. I, I mentioned, I know some, maybe many of us don't come from Christian homes or have godly male examples in our homes. Um, there's this great story. Well, it's not, it's not a, uh, exactly a great story. Uh, number 16, it records the story of Korah's rebellion. If you recall, uh, Korah was of the tribe of Levi, but he was not of the sons of Aaron, and so he wasn't a priest. He, he had tabernacle duties, but not um, priestly duties. And so he was jealous. He, he coveted uh, that which belonged to the sons of Aaron. He was actually a, a cousin of Moses and Aaron. And so number 1632 uh, says that the ground swallowed Korah's household and, quote, every man that belonged to Korah. So everyone that belonged to Korah died. 
However, and this is the great part, Numbers 26, 10 chapters later, Numbers 26, 11 says, makes it very clear, the sons of Korah did not die. But if you, if you know this phrase, the sons of Korah, this is throughout the Psalms at the top, right? Psalm 42, 44 through 49, Psalm 84, 85, several of them. They wrote Psalms, <laughs> sons of Korah. Their father was swallowed up in the ground. Even Samuel was a descendant of Korah, 1 Chronicles uh, 6, 33 to 37. So what does this show? It shows that Korah's sons followed Moses' command in Numbers 16, 25, and 26 to depart from their father Korah's tent so that they wouldn't be destroyed because of his sin. So Korah's sons did not walk in the sins of their father. And God did not consider them to truly to, to belong to Korah. Instead, they sided with Moses and the truth with the congregation of Israel and remained faithful towards the Lord. This is a, a wonderful example of God's mercy uh, to, to those who repent. <clears throat> Though, uh, it's, this is from Numbers 14, 18, but it's also in like Ten Commandments. Uh, Though God will by no means clear the guilty, right? It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the sons to the third and fourth generation. We also know from some other verses, Deuteronomy 24, 16. He shall, he, he, he sorry, where it says, uh, sons shall not be put to death for the sins of their father. Right? So if you repent, God will be merciful towards you. Right? In fact, your repentance is part of his mercy. Mm. So God can help us overcome our adverse situations. But that, of course, won't be the end. Right? You can be a holy man and you'll still have trials and temptations. In our culture, people will constantly seek to destroy you, especially if you act like a man, if you um, exercise courage. But they try to slap this down nowadays. How dare you? How dare you speak up? It'll expose you to pain. Some, some have called this the pain box. Threaten to take everything you have. Fire you from your job. Or, or worse. But part of, I think, being masculine is being able to withstand the pain. To refuse to cave to pressure. But doing so is, isn't easy. You need strength. Strength from God. Strength that comes from His Spirit. And how does God's Spirit work? Well, His Spirit works through the Scriptures, through His Word. And so you must go to the Word regularly. You must seek spiritual vitality, laboring in God's Word, going to a church that faithfully preaches and teaches God's Word. Now, that's how you exercise masculine. That's how you grow as a man. Well, you must also read the Scriptures yourself, right? And seek to do what God calls you to do. Asking regularly, asking God to forgive you of your sin through the, the shed blood of Christ. Right, I hope you regularly do that. Forgive us our sins. Right, that's in the Lord's Prayer. We do that all the time. So when you sin, you ask for forgiveness and then you move on and seek obedience, asking God to help you to obey Him. That's, that's what it means to live as a Christian man. Okay, so that's, that's manhood. What is manhood? Um, 
my next question here, as we close, is, is, is the necessity of being masculine. I, I want to ask this, why does it matter? Right? Why, does it, why does it matter to, to be a man? Well, I have two answers. The, the first is that this is how you're saved. It's part of your salvation. If you want to go to heaven and escape God's judgment, then you must be holy. Hebrews 12:14 says there is a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We're forgiven of our sin through faith alone. This justification, somebody know this? Justification by faith, but we must also be sanctified. That's part of saving faith. It produces holiness. And if you are a man, that means you must be a holy man. You must live out the Christian life by fulfilling the duties God has placed on you as a man to lead, to protect, to provide. So what God demands of you as a man is a holy masculinity. We see some of these this language in Scripture. Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, 16 to 13 says to act like men, which uh, is actually phrase used in the Greek translation, the Old Testament, that um, well, it has this word, uh, to be strong and courageous, right? It comes up a lot. So, so part of that, that's, that's a mask. I mean, this applies to women in some sense too, but part of being a man is being courageous. We also have this uh, warning in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 saying not to be uh, uh, effeminate, right? The effeminate will not enter the kingdom of God, the malakoi. So there's other sinners in there too. It's but that's, that's a lot of translations don't get this right. That's a whole issue in of itself. But um, we shouldn't be effeminate, right? Instead of uh, effeminacy, we should act like men. Right? That's the problem. Effeminacy is to is to be a man, but to act like a woman. It's not to be feminine. It's to be effeminate. Um, Doug Wilson defines um, masculinity here. He says. Simply put, masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. So it's part of being responsible, being you know, sacrificial responsibility. He, he adds, he says, masculinity is authoritative. And the scriptures teach that authority flows to those who take responsibility and it flees from those who seek to evade it. So we've talked about some of that. But instead of being effeminate, we must embrace masculinity, embrace responsibility and, and authority. <clears throat> All right, so uh, part of uh, part of the reason we need to be masculine is uh, it's part of um, godliness as, as being men. Um, God demands that you be holy, and, and holiness as a man is expressed in things. It's not limited to this, but including lim- leadership and courage. Right? These are masculine things. But the second and, and final answer here is that... Uh, the world needs godliness. Right? That's why you need to be masculine, not only for yourself, but for others. Our, our culture is in shambles because of the failure of men. There's a massive lack of male leadership in the world, our, our own country. I wonder why things are crumbling. It's, it's big parts lack of male leadership. Right? 40% of uh, uh, births now in the United States, like 42%, are out of wedlock. Where are the fathers? Where's the commitment, the responsibility? Men are the source of authority and strength, and the home, church, and society 
are all authority structures. And so a home or a church or a society led by women will often fail, which is why our current authority structures are failing. We don't have enough male leadership. Marriage is deteriorating. The church is weak. Our society as a whole is crumbling. We need, we need men to lead. And we're, when it comes to the church as a whole, we're witnessing widespread the sin of feminacy, of lack of courage, lack of having a backbone, standing up for the truth of God's word. So people just cave. A lot of Christians, they, they just cave. They, they seek the people, please. So, brothers, be a godly man because that's how God saves you. That's what he saves you to, is a, a holy calling. It's actually the goal of Christ's work. He, he, he died to forgive you of your sins, but also to make you into a righteous man. But also be a godly man because God will use you to bless others. By God's grace, you will not only be holy, but you will help lead a woman in marriage into holiness, into joy, and lead her into the kingdom of God, right, as a joint heir of Christ. By God's grace, you will lead children to become godly adults who love Christ and carry on your, your, your legacy, right? God may call you to lead in His church as a pastor, an elder, or, or a deacon. He, he may use you in uh, to lead in business or government, right? All things this world needs. We need godly leadership, not just in the church. So seek to also be a godly man for the good of others, right? Love God and love your neighbor. As go the men, so go the women and children. As go the men, so goes the world. So let me close with these words. As Christian men, we, we usually know what God expects of us, and we usually do, but the hard part is implementing it. And in some ways, it's harder to be a godly man than ever before. You have the media, the culture, basically everything attacking manhood. But God's Spirit is able to equip you if you ask Him. He will empower you to exercise a godly masculinity, or, or another way to put it is to exercise a holy dominion. And so that's what, that's what godly manhood should be. It should be a holy dominion over sin, over trials and temptations, over our enemies and the enemies of Christ. So brothers, go forth empowered by the Spirit of God, equipped with His Word, and take dominion for Christ. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.